Stay tuned for The Lynn Show. Today, I'm airing an interview I did with Annie Addington. Now, I know Annie as a singer, and a singer she very definitely is. Music and singing and communicating with music is integral to her, essential to her. You will hear her tell the sweet story of trying to convince her mother to sing harmony with her when she was three, four, five years old. But singing is not the only art to which Annie has given her life. Having fallen in love with jazz very, very young, she was lucky enough to be in New York when jazz was really king. You'll hear these amazing stories of this vagabond, hippie before hippie was, life that Annie lived. Along the way, she learned many, many languages. She became a therapist. She became a teacher. But music, a through line in her life. And here she is yet again, singing wherever she can, and also working on a CD. Uh, There will be two cuts from this CD, two of the songs that are already mixed. You'll hear Annie talk about that in this interview. It's a fascinating interview of a person who was continually evolving, continually growing, continually saying yes to whatever life seemed to be offering her, a tenacious, um, eclectic, dramatic, talented woman with a really interesting story. So hang on, here come the show. Oh, 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 
Hello and welcome to The Lynn Show. The music you just heard is a song called Wild is the Wind, sung by Annie Addington. Uh, this is a cut from her evolving CD. And of course, Annie is the person I am interviewing today. And I will be airing her interview soon. The Lynn Show is about being the person you really are. Not the person you think you need to be. Not the person that other people are. Not the person they told you you were supposed to be. Or even the person they told you you were. Not even the person you think you are. Because many of us have limited versions of who we really are. And The Lynn Show is about saying that you may have, as many, many have, left behind qualities, attributes, inclinations, interests in a childhood that demanded that you do that. And as a result, while you are being some of the things you are, it may very well be that there are things you left behind and if you get them back, then you will be the person you really are. Unfortunately, our family of origin quite often demands of us that we pretend to be other than we are, that we pretend not to be who we are. But it's not just our family of origin. Uh, school, religious organizations, cultural organizations, TV <laughs> can give you an idea that something about you is not okay. Social media, quite often, as we hear to our horror, tells children that something about them is not okay. If you had this experience and you believe that you perhaps may have left some important part of yourself in your childhood and you don't have access to it, or if there's something you have always yearned to do, yearned to be, yearned to try, but you think somehow that isn't for you, well, it may be for you, and it is the mission of the Lynn Show to say that it may not be too late to recover what you may have lost, to become what you have always wanted to be. And if you want to talk to me about that, you can find me at my website, thelynnshow.com. That's T-H-E-L-Y-N-N-E. Don't leave the E out of Lynn thelinshow.com. There's an email tab on the website. You can click on that and ask me any question you would like. I'll be happy to answer. You can get me to come and talk to your group or organization. You can get a copy of my book, When You Can, You Will, Why You Can't Always Do What You Want to Do and What to Do About It. And you can listen to all the shows I have ever done, including the one I'm about to air now, with the remarkable, incredible versatile Annie Addington. 
In my shows, I interview people who make their living or their life with an art. And I do that because when you listen to them, you can hear what it sounds like to be the person you really are. And Annie Addington is definitely the person she really is. Here she is now. Okay, so I'm here with Annie Addington, and I'm explaining to Annie that I interview people who make their living or their life with an art. And it's clear to me that you are making your life, maybe some of your living, maybe all of your living, with the art of music singing. Is that correct? Yes. Good. Great. Okay, so I only ask one question, and it is, can you remember, can you tell me, the very first time in your life when singing, music, um, any of that seemed attractive to you, drew you, people said, oh, she sings, any of that? Any of that? Well, my mother was a singer, ah. and um, I was singing from the time I was a small child and trying to learn harmony. I'd stop her in the kitchen and say, Mom, please, please, sing sing harmony with me. And, um, and, and with saying small child, how old when you say, Mom, Mom, please? Five, six, seven, mm -hmm. I started at that time. Um, one thing that was wonderful was my grandparents were Scottish, and so I got to hear a lot of bagpipes, which gave me a sense of harmony for my whole life. It was wow. really great. And my mom was a jazz standards vocalist. When my father made her stop singing when he married her, but he died when I was two. So, um, so are you saying she went back to it? No, she didn't. But um, it was really in me. My whole life, I was in the choir in church. Oh, no, hold on, hold on, hold on. Okay. So we have you very young. Were your Scottish grandparents living with you? You didn't yes. grow up in Scotland. No. Um, my they... mom was born in Scotland as well, and uh, after my father died when I was two, we lived uh, with my grandparents, my Scottish grandparents. And they had bagpipes? Oh, we listened to bagpipes. I still get chills when I hear them. So you listen to recordings? Yeah. Right, right? Mm -hmm. Okay, my God. LPs. LPs, right, of course, <laughs> right, of course. 78s, probably, right, 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 right. right. Okay, great. So here you are, this two-year-old, three-year-old, four-year-old listening to bagpipes, and your mother is singing around the house. Is that what's happening? Um, <clears throat> no, I don't remember. She was actually pretty depressed for a long time but as as I grew we would listen to the radio and there were songs that she liked I remember um, in the 50s uh -huh. detour ahead <laughs> the road um, <clears throat> and we used to take take road trips mm -hmm. and during that time we sang all the time I'm in the car right yeah. and you're, you're saying that you were sensitive to harmony very early and so much so that you could ask for it do you have any memory of where that comes from? I mean, th that's a pretty sophisticated concept, harmony. Um, no, I just it was just I, natural. I truly think a lot of it came from listening to the bagpipe music, that it was ingrained in me. Mm -hmm. And even when I became, a, um, when I was in the choir, which I think I must have been eight or nine. Yeah, that was my next question. Did you sing in school? Yes, yeah, so I was in the chorus, and I played... Uh, I had piano lessons, and I had French horn lessons with braces. Because you, oh dear, oh dear. So did you ask for piano lessons? Did they say, oh, yeah, what wanted, instrument do you want? Or No, I wanted uh, Yeah, piano. so how old were you when you started to play piano? Um, how old was I? I guess I was about 10. Yeah. Okay. But I, am, I was such a rebel that I would play you, what I wanted, and um, a lot by ear. 
And uh, that's why today, if I sit down with a written piece of music, unless it's a jazz chart, um, it takes me hours to yeah, <laughs> figure it out. out. Right, right, but, right, right. Yeah. Okay, so you took some lessons, but you never really studied. No, I just took piano lessons. Yeah, I right. did. I actually studied music. I have four years of graduate school. Oh, okay, we'll get there. Okay. Okay, so, um, so you're eight or nine, and then you're in the choir. Yes. And I imagine even in the chorus, you're... You you understand the significance of harmony because everybody. I was saying, alto. You were alto, of course. And so I got to read. Also, I got to read the alto, alto parts line. in mm-hmm. church. That was very helpful. Ah, church. Yeah. That's is that where the chorus was? Is I was church? in choir in in church, and I was in the chorus in school. In school. Yeah. Okay, fine. So you're singing all over the place. Yeah. Right. Okay. So now you're in choir, and you're reading the alto part, and you you have a you have a really pretty much in in um, instinctive sense of harmony, right? And clearly you're loving it, right? Yeah. So high school, plays, chorus? All the plays, and I, be, I ended up, uh, you know, in the all in the musical plays and singing, and I even went at the age of 15, I was doing summer stock. Oh, hold on, hold on, hold on. Okay. Um, did, did you think of yourself as an actor? I mean, were you in yes, the... Yes, so I definitely was going to be an actor. I see. So was were you in the drama class or yes. drama club yeah. in high school? Yeah. Yes, I see. Okay, good. All right. And so... Even then, quite young, it was clear to you that you were going to be a performer, that, that you were going to, right? Is that, that was certainly my wish. That was your wish. Yeah. yeah. Okay, fine. So you're not thinking, I'll do something else if I can't do this, or um, I'll do something else until I can do this, or nothing, right? I mean, life definitely happened, but that was my thought at the time. Yeah, no, I'm, I'm trying to go in, in sequence here, yeah, right, okay. right, yeah, right. So, okay, so elementary school, high school, um, this is, it's a consistent theme. You're singing as much as you can, you're in as many places you can be in, and I'm assuming... Summer you, stock from the time I was 15 to 18. And, and how did that happen? Um, I, there was a, a director called Sam, I was actually in the Weathersfield's, um, players. What is that? That's Weathersfield, Connecticut, uh, uh town theater department. And as how well. did that happen? I just, some, I don't, I don't remember actually. I was how old in were high you? school. Yeah. I was about 15, 14, 15. And uh, I played in our town for that. And, uh. Did you audition? I must have. I don't remember. That's really interesting. Yeah. Do you remember how your family felt about this? What your mother thought? Oh, yeah. My mother thought it was great. Yeah. So she was yeah. a big supporter. Yes. And um, okay. So 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 the town has like a community center, uh, community center, um, community theater, community, community theater, right? Yeah. And you you were part of that. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Okay. Good. Okay. Good. Right. And then. Somehow this leads to the summer stock thing. Yes, and I played uh, the girl in the Fantastics for a three-week lead. I was very proud of it because Oval in the Grove up near Hartford, Connecticut, um, was Peter Falk's place. That's where Peter Falk did summer stock. And, you know, everybody used to say Peter did this and Peter did that. <laughs> yeah, right, 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 right. So um, I did a bunch of uh, Bye Bye Birdie. So do you remember auditioning for <clears throat> them? Sam Capuano, who was the director of the fantastic of our town took me into the fantastics 
So you didn't audition for it. He just said I we could do. I might have auditioned for the Weathersfield Country Players. Yeah, <clears throat> I truly don't remember auditioning. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, all right. But what I what I hear is that you you were talented enough for them simply to want to have you, and there were roles that were appropriate for you, both the Fantastics and our town. And our town, right? Yeah. It had roles for a young woman. Yeah. Right, and you you could do that, right? Okay. Yeah. Um, did you study singing at all? So far we have you studying uh, piano and French horn and maybe acting in your drama class. Um, I, I did not... Uh, you never studied? Well, you didn't singing? study... Yeah, singing? Oh, later, certainly. Okay, in but, my not, 20s, as, but I, not as a kid. No. No, okay. So it's just a natural thing. And but my mom was a singer. It's natural. Yeah. yeah, right. But I did definitely go work on it as a jazz vocalist. Okay, all right. So... Summer stock, you're a teenager, right? Yeah. And it's very exciting. It's, it's wonderful, right? Great. Okay, and you're thinking, well, I can do this. Oh, yes. And are you thinking about college? Or are you thinking, yeah? Yes, a theater. theater. I wanted to go into theater. Okay, and so did you apply to more places? Did you care where you were going? Did you think about My it? My mother wanted me to go to the University of Connecticut because it was close and less expensive, mm -hmm. and I met the greatest people on earth who are still my great friends. Okay, okay, so so you applied and got into the theater program. Mm -hmm. and That's where uh, Sinai's husband went, UConn. Ah, really? Yeah. Oh, amazing. Okay. Okay, so, uh, so you're a freshman, in, right? And you're majoring in... Theater. Theater. They had a theater program? Oh, yeah. I was in the fine arts department, theater major. Okay, yeah. and so that means that you're studying acting, right? Acting, stage design, directing, you know, the, right. the whole curriculum. Right. But I, I also studied French, which I liked. I, I'm a language junkie. Mm -hmm. I love languages. I love to speak other languages, sing in other languages, and, um, but, and philosophy. And those were the only classes I went to. I, I um, sort of hung out at the campus restaurant with my friends a lot. You only went to French and philosophy? Yeah, and, and acting. And acting. Like, I mean, I came out okay for my two years, but I, you know... It was two years? It was a... I only stayed for two years because I got the Best Actors Award, and la-di-da, 19 years old, I went to New York and I studied at Burgos. Well, so, you're, you're loving school, right? Oh, yes. Um, and then you get the Best Actress Award in your sophomore year yes at 19 um for what for i i um i played in the in a play called the physicists by friedrich durenmatt i played a hunchbacked german psychiatrist who wanted to take over the world it was just great <laughs> and i played edith friedlander in an elaine may play which was just uh very deep. You know, I was going through a lot emotionally. And, uh, Do you mind telling some of that? Abused as a child. Yeah. Acting was my way of becoming other people. Uh. And living, th living. oh, I, I, I think theater saved my life at that time. Yes. And, um... So was this in your home that the... Stepfather, stepbrother. Oh, your mother remarried. Oh, yes, yeah. Mm. And how old were you when eight. you were eight when mm -hmm. she remarried? We, did you continue to live with your grandparents? or no. You, no, you lived on your own, so it was just you. No, I lived with them, yeah. Yeah, right. And he had three sons. 
Oy. the youngest of which was six feet five and eighteen, and uh, oh. he abused me for from the time of eight to thirteen. Oh my God! But I tell you, I uh, it catapulted me into therapy to teach therapy to. Yeah, you know, hold on, we'll okay. get there too. Right. But at the at that time, you were at the mercy of of your situation. Yeah. And so when you discovered, you'd already discovered singing, but when you discovered acting, you knew that you had an outlet that would really work to Absolutely. heal you. Absolutely. Yeah, it was, okay. It was so healing for me. And so, of course, these roles, the two you're talking about, are very deep. They require you to, to touch a lot of that and use it, right? Yeah. And, of course, it bought you the Actress of the Year Award, yeah. which is pretty amazing. Okay, so now are you saying that you said to yourself well, got everything I need here, so I don't need to be here anymore, and I want to go to New York like that? I wanted to go to New York and hang out, too. Yeah. I, I got the award, and I said I want to go study at Berghoff. Ah, you're there. You're 19. Yes. Where are you living? What Everywhere. are you doing for money? <laughs> How are you surviving? Slugs in the Far East. What is that? That was one of the greatest jazz clubs ever in New York City. Oh, do you mean you sang? No, I oh, was no. a cocktail waitress with two ponytails. And <laughs> I, came, I came in like with my little Weathersfield coat, and I said, I saw in the village voice that you have an ad for a cocktail waitress. And the, and the bartender looked down and he said, come on in tomorrow night. <laughs> and I did, and I was in heaven. <laughs> Everybody, um, Archie Chef, Roland Kirk, Jackie McLean, Sun Ra played every Monday night. It was Phenomenal. Where did you learn about jazz before this? My first, my first encounter with true jazz was my friend David Bliss, who gave me a record by Monk, Coltrane, Wilbur Ware, and the song was called "Ruby, My Dear." And you take to it immediately. Yes, and then right. by the time I'm in Slugs, I'm in right. absolute. You're in heaven, heaven. right? Jazz, oh, okay. jazz musician boyfriends, and you know. <laughs> yeah, yeah, right. Okay, good. All right. So, so how long? So, how long did you do that? I was there for maybe two years. And at the same time, you're studying acting, mm -hmm. right? So now, and so what did you do? Well. I got a waitress job at Max's Kansas City, mm -hmm. and I ended up with John Chamberlain, a sculptor who was down here for a long time, and John was the love of my life. Uh, I was with him for three and a half years, and uh, he was 19 years my senior, and so I be, was thrown into the art world, and just amazing, an amazing experience. I, I've been very lucky with the people I've met in my life. In the 60s and 70s, I took a few drugs, uh -huh. like LSD. Mm -hmm. And after I took that, I just couldn't handle musical theater. It just, I couldn't handle the mask of it. The, the artifice? Artifice is, that is what the you word, mean? exactly. Yeah, okay, right. Unacceptable. Unacceptable, right. Well, and so we have here a woman who fell in love with uh, philosophy. So it's the, the more serious part of life that matters to you. At the age of 21, I, I joined, I, I had always been very uh, fascinated with the esoteric, the Rosicrucians. I studied, um, I became a member of the Association for Research and Enlightenment, the Edgar Cayce Foundation, mm -hmm. who had the most phenomenal library on 21st Street. And I used to go up there and just study and study. And um, 
You see, I have this other part of myself which became a therapist and working with other people. But this is where that begins, right? This idea that that there are ways in which you can help other people by understanding whatever it is that goes into making them. Am I close? Absolutely. Okay, all right, good. Okay, okay, good. So so this is your your 20s, um, and you're exploring in, in pretty much every way that you can the uh, significance, right, of, of the human condition. Jazz and uh, philosophy and um, esoterica, right? Okay, so you're no longer interested in musical theater. Does that mean you're no longer interested in theater? Um, um, I pretty much left the, the theater world. Okay, so, so you're 24, and what happens? We were in a bullfight, and uh, we had both been drinking, but he had been drinking a lot. And John will do the ultimate confrontation at the ultimate point. So here we are, and uh, the poor bull has been yeah. kicked by the picadores. And, and um, I, I, I was weeping. I couldn't stand it. And behind me, the Swedes were sitting, and this boy kept tapping my shoulder saying, Don't cry, please don't cry. <laughs> I can't stand to see you cry. <laughs> And anyway, um, at the moment that the matador took his sword out and the entire corrida was hushed, in John's inimitable fashion, he screamed, Your mama! Oh, God. At that point, all the heads turned. I'm sure. And I was afraid for my life, to be honest. And we we said, all right, let's go to, out to dinner. So we went to Paseo Nacional in Barcelona with fish restaurants, and um, the Swedes with the Swedes. And Anders Enqvist, who had been tapping my shoulders, said, "You can come with us. You know, we're leaving tomorrow in the bus. We're going scuba diving in Mallorca." So I went off in this big pink bus, just sleeping on a slab in their pink bus going down the coast of Spain to Valencia. And they were not allowed to go because of some hippies causing problems on Mallorca. And Anders said he would meet me in Paris uh, at the Café de la Paix. And he did, Mm -hmm. with a a bunch of roses. And we spent a day on the Seine, walking on the Seine. And uh, I was just a mess. I was crying and... He would say, Eskimos, don't cry. <laughs> anyway, I never saw him after those, but we just had this lovely little interlude. And see, we were on our way to Dusseldorf, John and I, from Barcelona, because John had a show in, in Dusseldorf. But luckily, the ticket was the same amount of money to Paris. I took the plane. I was really ill. I had a high fever. I got to Paris. Before I got through customs, I ran into the man who introduced me to John, who was on his way to Zurich to put a little money in the bank. <laughs> and uh, said, I, he said, what are you doing here? I had $20. That's all I had. I had my little bag with my flute in it and some crushed up little dresses and my ticket. And um, he said, you can go out. Bois de Boulogne, my, uh, my friend Kat is there, my girlfriend. So I went out there and I stayed there until my ticket was good to go back to New York. Wow. And when I got back to New York, John was in my loft. Because <laughs> he had gotten back the same day. <laughs> but anyway, that's the story. So then, you're about 24 at this time? Yeah. And so then what happened? Um, I, I separated from John. And I think I, 
I was still uh, hanging out at Max's. I used to, Mickey used to let me do the um, the disc jockey. I did disc jockey for Andy Warhol's parties. <laughs> and those guys were my friends. Well, the thing is, actually, I started seeing Richard at this point. We would, we would, we were traveling road trips, you know, with gallons of wine from New York to San Francisco, and and uh, sing on the streets for money and have dinner, and uh, one trip to Miami in a Volkswagen bus with which ran out only second gear, and so we had to put a belt in, and we went from Jacksonville to Miami. <laughs> Those were those years, yeah, you know. Right. Literally. Right. And um, so about, I guess not until about 26, I had a boyfriend who I lived with for a year and a half. He was a great big bearded sweetheart who was a professional gambler. And we lived in a little house that was in a courtyard uh, in the West Village. Um, and he basically was taking care of me, and I didn't like it at all. And I used to sneak out. On, I used to say, I need one night to see my friends, but I used to go work at Steak and Brew and work as a waitress, so I had my own money. Yeah. So, you know, yeah, I haven't thought of these things. Um, then after that, I, I, was, I had had this old boyfriend, Marzette, from the days I was at Slugs, Marzette Watts saxophone player and um, he called me one night and said come over uh, I want you to meet a musician and uh, it was Clifford Thornton and Clifford and I just felt totally in love and um, I was with him for probably two years I never made it much longer than that except for my two husbands right. <laughs> I can't believe the story as I'm told <laughs> So after Clifford, I was really in a bad place. I was working as a cook in a, in a bar restaurant called The Colonnades on, on Lafayette, across from a theater. So um, I had been studying all the time that I was in a bad place. I had been studying all the Seth material. I was very deeply into that. and. Um, I was studying the nature of re reality at the time when Ruth Kligman walks in the door. Now, Ruth Kligman was in the car with Jackson Pollock when he had the accident that killed him. She was his girlfriend. And she was also a friend from Max's. And she said, what's going on? And I said, I'm in a bad place. I said, I think I need to go back into therapy or do something. I, I'm not doing all right. She said, well, I just happened to know about 500 people. And I said, well. <laughs> and um, I joined something called the Pathwork, which was, I had actually heard this woman. Her name was, at that time, Eva Brach, and she became Eva Piracos. I had gone to hear her go into trance and give lectures for an hour and a half without stopping the most amazing material came out of this woman. And when Ruth said to me, I know these people. And I said, Eva, bro. <laughs> I said, that's what I'm doing. So I left, I, I dropped everything. I found, uh, I called the center. I found someone as a helper. And I went up to the center, which is now Tibet House. 
um, and uh, I worked in the kitchen. I did anything. I stopped drinking. I stopped any drug. I worked on myself. I was in groups. I did three and a half years of studying core energetics and humanistic psychology. It was the most magical, magical healing known to man. Well, when I was at the center, I wrote a lot of songs. It's like every event I sang, and um, that's. It was again like coming out and singing and and being being recognized as a singer. And I remember coming back and and shaking like someone had plugged me in. I was so terrified to express myself. And um, that was very, 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 very healing those years. I met my first husband there. He was Dutch, and he was doing an intensive study in the summers. And I went to Amsterdam in 1981 with the thought of looking for music, because Marzette had always told me, if you want to make music, go to Amsterdam. So in my mind, I know these Dutch people. I can go make music, maybe. And I went over with $1,000 in a big black trunk. You know, one of those shipping trunks? Mm-hmm. <laughs> and uh, some of the people from the Pathwork had a house. I lived there. I was given a place to live for six weeks, and my first husband and I got together. And um, we ended up getting married and having my son. So you marry this brilliant, painful guy, and you have your son. And how long are you married to him? We were together seven years, I think married for five. Okay, so did you take your son and go? Not at first. I, uh, we were living in Holland, and I said, I'm moving to Germany. He said, me too. <laughs> so we moved to Germany for one year. We tried it one more year, and um, then we split. And, and where did you go? I was with my son. In Ger- you stayed in Germany. Yeah. You split up, oh, but you didn't go Germany. anywhere. Right. And I was alone with my son. My ex-husband took 60% of my salary. <laughs> you know, that kind of stuff. But I got so strong from all of this. Mm-hmm. You know, and I ended up with my women's group. Um, I had a women's group from 82 until 96. Are we still talking Germany? Yeah. Mm-hmm. This is what happened in Germany. I had... This is when I came out singing. Um, let me put this in perspective, because I didn't start singing until I finally got away from my husband. Ah, yes, right, of course. That's, and then I soared. I just wrote bazillion songs. And I had friends in Berlin. I moved to Berlin, and um, I had a lot of publicity because I was in New York coming to Berlin I had all original songs about my life and I uh, made an album with a friend of mine um, and then I I had my uh, jazz band I just called it the Annie Addington Ensemble and then we we played jazz also in Berlin in Berlin so I had three things going on I was giving seminars and workshops I had a jazz band and I had a country band so I was six years in Holland, ten years in Germany. Um, so where did you move to? Well, first I came back to my very unwelcoming family home, which I had to get away from within a few months. And then I went to the center where I had studied, and uh, I became a rental agent. I worked as a rental agent um, 
for other groups coming into the center. And about a year later, the center went bankrupt. <laughs> right. <laughs> so, geez, then what did I do? I worked at Vassar Brothers Hospital as a medical transcriptionist because my son was in school. I became a teacher at Oakwood Friends School in order to put my son into private school. So that's how I started teaching. Kids. So what did you teach? Music and drama. Uh-huh. And um, I gave them, you know, performances and this kind of stuff. Friends School is what saved my son from the German school system, which was really destroying his worth on any level whatsoever. It was teach period just to survive. Because ah. I had no help from my ex-husband. Right. Nothing. Everything was like, get it together. So I went back to school, and I finished my two bachelor's, which I had had two years only at UConn. Right. And I went back and did two years of music as a bachelor's. And then from there, I did four years of graduate school at SUNY Purchase Conservatory of Music with John Faddis as my teacher. And it was wow. phenomenal. Yeah, right. <laughs> it was a great, great blast. And um, so that was from 2000 to 2005. And all that time I was teaching, I, I, would, I, was, in, I was going in like a, a triangle. I, we had moved to Queens from Poughkeepsie. So I was going from Queens to Westport, Connecticut, where I taught, to Purchase, <laughs> back to Queens. That was like my, my world. Right. Just trying to, trying to survive from penny to penny. Okay, so you graduate. Yeah. Right? Four, four years. Yes. Congratulations. <laughs> and then... Still, oh, yes, I taught, and I decided to do the 10 years in the New York City public school system. Good girl. To get my benefits, of which course. I have. Yeah, very clever. And I just finished that in 2015. Congratulations. Thank you. <laughs> well, what they, I was just thinking when I was driving down, what doesn't kill you makes you stronger. <laughs> I forgot to tell you, the year before I moved here, I did one full year of training for certification as a life coach. So I'm certified professional coach, and I have my, my um, uh, liability insurance, and I'm legal to work with people. So, but I also, my student, Frank Röhricht, who was in our training group in Germany when he was 21, doing his MD and our training in body psychotherapy at the same time, he became a leading, he's, he's like, you know, his publications are like this. As soon as I retired, he said, okay, now it's time we can work together. Uh -huh. And um, my wish, when I was asked, when I was doing that, what niche do you want? And I, my intuition was said, I want to deal with compassion in the medical world. And that's what we're doing. Frank and I are uh, in the process of putting seminars together. Um, and I are going to do the introductory workshop on um, embodiment and uh, body psychotherapy for MDs and things like this. So they can get, when Frank is there, they can get professional development credits, and we want to have it as a continuing PD. PD. All professional development. I am also, at the end of June, going to speak to the... Um, Turo School of Osteopathy in, in northern New York, where my son is director of IT, mm -hmm. and um, my grandson lives, mm -hmm. and uh, I spoke to a doctor there, and it's very possible that I'll be able to do partial work. Oh, lovely. There. 
Oh, that'd be lovely. So I'm very excited. I'm going to set up a whole curriculum and see what they want to do with it. And then Frank can come over and give workshops with me. And in that area, I have about four core energetic therapists who can come in and work with me. So it, uh, that's what I'm trying to go for. And you're, you're making an album. You're making a CD. It's done. Well, it just has to... I need money in order to finish the mixing and put it out. That's it. That's, that's, so it's been recorded. What is it? Um, it? Well, a lot of it is with a really incredible band. Um, when Dwayne Berno was alive, he's a bass player. He was the first call bass player in New York. He plays on it. Just brilliant, brilliant bassist. And Peter O'Brien, who's from Orleans, is the drummer. And um, John Esposito, great keyboard guy. And a horn player and a vibes player. And, and where did you record it? At um, NRS Studios in Catskill. Mm-hmm. Um, that's, Catskill, you that's mean... A lot of jazz people do up there. John, Jackie Dichonette, who's an old friend also. You, you're talking about like Monticello? You're talking about that Catskill? Not that part of the Catskills. Um, Woodstock part of the ah, Catskills. Ah, I got it. Okay. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And um, actually, the, the recording studio is in the town of Catskill. Mm-hmm, so. mm-hmm. <laughs> but um, it was all done there. And um, so I just have, I'm trying to pay off as, as I have it until I have an actual salary again. So it's been a year and a half, and I'm trying to recreate my jazz, my country rock, and my working with people, triangle. Yes. Yeah. Wow. You do you do create your own life, so I'm busy trying to do that. So, um, are you singing now someplace else? Um, I sang at the Packing House last week. I have a once a month gig there, and that was supposed to be Catskill, but just for fun to sing harmonies and do country rock music. Um, Regis and I um, have done some Brazilian, and uh, I, I had two nights with him at Brazen Pisco, but I am, of course, really looking for a jazz gig. Yeah. Because jazz is my art and my heart, and Catskill is my fun. Yeah, that's right. And my gun. <laughs> <laughs> that's the first time it came out like that. <laughs> I, know, I think that it, I think it works. I think it absolutely works. All right, I have one more question. Okay. And um, it's difficult... You know that most people have a kind of through line in their life? You don't actually have that. No. <laughs> right. So, um, I'm a circle. You, yeah, it's right, right, right. It's great. I mean, I, mean I, you know I'm not saying that there's anything wrong with it. It's just that for most people I can say, having spent your whole life doing this thing, which is what most people are doing, right, I can't do that with you. So what I'd like to ask is, when you think about your life. So you've you've had a chance really to look at the the way that life evolved. It's not common your life, no? And um so what do you think about what you would say about what it feels like to have lived so diverse, so um eclectic Alive. What it means to What me? it feels like. What you think about it. Rich. It feels yeah, rich. yeah. You could say what it means to you. Whatever comes to mind about having lived this way, which, again... Life fascinates me. 
Ah, yes. People fascinate me. Mm-hmm. I want to embody as much of it as I can. I want to... That's why I, I am a, a language junkie. I am studying languages many, many years. I love it I, so that I can make contact to as many possible people. And um, it's about communication. Yeah, it is. And expression, yeah. Well, I think it's, I think it's about contact. Because everything that you did, really, in the end, is about contact. Some way in which you contact another. Mm-hmm. Right? Yeah. Yeah. Singing does that. Singing does that. Yeah. That's exactly right. That's a great place to stop. Thank you very much, Thanks Annie. Thank you so much. <laughs> Thank you. Annie loves everything that she does. She loves to sing. You can hear it. in, But you can also see it when you see her perform. She loves to teach. Maybe she's had enough for now. She loves to treat people. She loves to help people. She loves to learn other languages. She loves to communicate. She loves to have contact. When you listen to Annie, you can hear what it sounds like to be who you really are. And it is my hope that when you listen to Annie and you hear what it sounds like, you're asking yourself, is this how I feel about my life? Have I been open to everything that put itself in front of me? Do I love everything that I do? Am I willing to risk to be who I am? Well, again, if it turns out that you think that may not be true of you and you want to talk to me about it, again, that website is thelinshow.com. As always, I hope you got something from this show that you can use, something that inspired you, something that tickled you. Maybe you just love listening to Annie Addington sing. Whatever it is, I hope that it is something that will bring you back because I will be back next week, same time, same station. And as always, I sure hope you will be too. And we're going to go out with another cut from Annie's upcoming album. This is Ruby, my dear. As you heard, this is the song that turned her on to jazz. And here she is singing it to the accompaniment of the extraordinary Eddie Tobin on piano. So here now, Annie Addington and Eddie Tobin doing the classic jazz standard, Ruby, My Dear.
one day he came along and made the music play in his way. You said you'd rather die than say goodbye, but there will come a day. I will. 
I may have got to 